before your word. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to understand what you want us to see. And Lord, I pray that we would have ears to hear, Lord, that we would receive it with, with faith, with belief. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you got your Bible this morning, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, the title of our message this morning is Faith, Our Title, Deed. Faith, Our Title, Deed. As we look at this passage, what we're going to see over and over is a description of what he's calling these people to live by. A description of what he's calling these people to live by. If you go back with me into chapter 10, let's look and pick up at verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And it's as if somebody says, hey, could you give me a little bit of a description of what that faith looks like? And the author of Hebrews says, sure. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Uh, there, you know, so many people that, that I look to that helped me in, in, in preparing this message. Uh, Brian Borgman was one that I highly recommend to you. Alistair Begg helped me. A lot of other commentaries. But I was really struggling in my own mind of just trying to grab on to some of these phrases, to understand them, um, to, to grab it in a way that I could try to make sense of like, okay, what does that mean for me? How do I, how do I live this way? What is that saying? How is that? You ever do that when you're reading the Bible? It's not just you, it's preachers too. We all do it. And in looking at this, uh, I want us to think of something, something that kept coming up in a lot of the resources I was looking at Faith involves knowledge for sure. You can't have faith without knowledge. It's interesting because a lot of times, you know, we have such a unique way of using the word believe. You'll see it on bumper stickers. Believe what? It'll say believe. As if belief or faith in nothing or faith in something out there is going to somehow be empowering to me. But that's not what biblical faith is. Biblical faith is based on God's promises as revealed in his word. So faith is going to involve knowledge, but more than knowledge. Faith is going to involve assent, which is approval or agreement. We can't just have knowledge. There has to be approval or agreement to that knowledge. But faith is more than knowledge, and it's more than knowledge and assent together. It involves trust. It involves dependence. And if you put these three together, you have a picture of what faith is. You've got knowledge. You've got assent to that knowledge. But now you've got trust and dependence and obedience to that knowledge and to that assent. And all of it comes together. 
You know, as we've been looking at Hebrews 10, 31, all the way into this section, this last part, we call it a clarifying description, a clarifying description of what this is all about. And faith is something that is seen throughout. You know, we looked at this word in several times in the book of Hebrews. I mentioned to him last time, mentioned them to you last time, but I want you to look at two of those verses we looked at last time, Hebrews 4, 2. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. Now look, why did it not benefit them? Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. The danger is this. The danger is is that we hear good news, we're exposed to good news, but rather than hear that good news with belief, we hear it with unbelief. We see it in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. This is the way we're called to live, the way that we're called to walk, the way that we're called to act. I was going to look at it with you a little bit later, but I want you to think about what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2. He says, in the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. You see it in Galatians. You see it all through the Bible. The righteous shall live by faith, which we're going to look at here in a moment. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Faith is essential. And don't forget We're only going to cover up to verse 3 today, but don't lose sight of verse 6 of Hebrews 11, where it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. And I'll be honest with you. There's been so many times in my Christian journey where I have treated these passages simply as ideal or simply as examples of the patriarchs. But I want you to see something today, whether you're 11, whether you're seven, whether you're younger than that, if you can understand me, don't be intimidated. Jump in. Whatever age you are today, God is calling you to walk by faith. Do you see that? This is not, let's examine the heroes of Christianity and let's notice the ideal that they live by. And we all leave and go, wow, isn't that neat? Isn't that neat that they trusted God? That's amazing. No, it's meant to enable you to endure. Because like Mike said, you're going to go through chaos and and you're going to go through trials that don't make sense to you in your life. And you're going to be tempted in those moments of suffering to go sideways in your heart and in your head. And what's going to be urgent in those moments of crisis that you by faith believe in the promises of God, that God enables you to take hold of that which is future and live out of it in the present moment. I tell you, you know, to think with me, when's the last time that you went through a crisis or a trial and that didn't happen? Can you relate with me? I can relate to times in my life for sure. And what I want you to see is is that God is so kind to us. And he's he's, he's calling us to live out of this faith. He's calling us to see that faith is the title deed. It's the legal possession we hold 
of that which God has promised us in the future. And I pray today that uh, this would really excite us. Four statements that are given in this passage, four statements all the way through here. And as we look at these statements, um, I pray that they'd really grab onto us. Okay, that we see here that the first one is faith is the assurance. In parentheses, you see substance of things hoped for. And when you look at that word next to the word substance, that is the debate of this passage because it can go either way. And the word assurance is more of the subjective idea of that. And the word substance is the more objective term of that. I, 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 don't, I won't lie to you. I, I've heard this and I've read this, you know, throughout my Christian life. But really, when I started digging into this, I just really like was battling. Okay, what does that mean? I was the kid in class, that, in math class, where I just had to have the teacher keep going and keep going. If I ever got it, I got it. But if I didn't get it, and he would always erase the board right before I got it. Can you relate with me? You're in algebra, and you're trying so hard, trying to figure out how in the world you'll need this one day. And you're trying... And, and, and as he's getting the X's and you're thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, it's coming, I'm getting it, I'm getting it. And he starts erasing it. And my brain would just check out. I'm like, I can't do it. I can't, I can't go to the next step because I almost had it and you left me hanging. You just, you, just, you just left me there. And that's sometimes the way I feel, you know, like when uh, I, I've got to just keep pressing on, keep pressing, keep pressing. And it was, it, it was like the more I prayed about this passage and the more I reflected on this passage, it started to open up a little bit in my own heart about what this looks like in our life. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. But have you ever, you know, assurance can be subjective. People can be assured of something that they really aren't needing to be assured of. I mean, we've seen that sometimes with the whole easy believism gospel. People that really have no business to have any assurance at all over their salvation, but yet live as if they need to be assured. And sometimes that's tragic. You see that in Matthew 7. You see people that say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do this? What, they had an assurance. It was a subjective assurance, but it sure wasn't the reality. And so some people have looked at this passage and said, you know what? Faith is more than a subjective feeling. Well, it is a subjective feeling. Now, hear me out. But it is based on the objective reality that God is faithful. His character is impeccable, and we can trust him. And it is now going to be the substance of things hoped for. The substance of things hoped for. I, I love this because... In all of these passages, you see, faith gives the reality. One commentator said, faith gives the reality to the objects of hope, which by sight seem to be unreal. Let me give that to you again. Borgman says, faith gives reality to the objects of hope, which by sight seem to be unreal. You ever do that? You ever think about that in, in your Christian journey? Just with your eyes and just with the way you're processing it, 
the spiritual realities seem not to be real. They seem to be unreal. And often during suffering, you look and you look at the promises of God and you think, but wait a minute, I can't see it. It doesn't seem real. But, but what we're looking at here is that the author of Hebrews is encouraging these Christians to understand that through the grace of God, the Holy Spirit enables the Christian as they trust God, as they walk by faith, it gives reality to the objects of hope. It, it through the eyes of faith, through what God does, based off of his character, based off of his promises, based on his word that can never change, based on all that he's given us in Christ, it brings it into our life in the present and that which we couldn't see with our eyes. Now, through the eyes of faith, we stand on in the present. And that's what we begin to see. I was going through this, and one translation says it like this. Faith gives substance to our hopes. It says the idea being that faith grabs hold of what is hoped for as something real and something substantial. And here's what's amazing. This objective substance gives us assurance. It gives us a tons of assurance. When I read last week, Kent Hughes says the believer's faith gives him such an inner certitude that the return of Christ, the resurrection, the glorification, a place in heaven, and a coming reign all become present to him. And he goes on and he quotes someone, faith celebrates now the reality of the future blessings which make up the objective content of Christian hope. I, I was thinking of this. You get into the next phrase, and, and here's what's amazing about this word. And, you know, as they've done lexicon studies, uh, lexical, you know, all these word studies on these Greek words, looking for the meaning of what it meant, one scholar came up with evidence that this was most correctly translated as title deed. Title deed. Now think of that. Now faith is the title deed of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And Borgman says this, and this got me excited. I remember my dad as a kid, it's funny, he would say, you know, I hope this gets out the way it got in. But it got in really good. And, and he was saying that this is the legal guarantee of the future possession that God has promised to his people. A title deed, something substantial, something that we can hold on to, something that God has given us. And, and by God's grace, as we trust in the promises of God, faith becomes like a title deed that becomes a legal guarantee of what is ours to come in the future. Now, let me ask you, do you think people that are tempted to wonder, people that are tempted to drift, and people that are tempted to go back to Judaism would benefit by such a practice? Think about it. What are you in need of? When you go through those things that you can't find hold of in life, you're in need to stand on the promises of God, to stand on the truth of God's word, the truth of his promises, the hope of the future, 
the hope of the inheritance. And it's by faith you trust in who God is, and by faith as you trust in his character and his unchanging, everlasting word, God enables you to experience a reality that the natural man cannot experience. He's saying this is how you live the Christian life. This is how you faithfully endure. The second phrase here that he gives is, He speaks of the conviction of things not seen, whereas in the first phrase, we saw the assurance. That's more the subjective, and substance is more of the objective. In this phrase, the conviction is more of the subjective, because you can be convicted of things, and that can be more of a subjective feeling, but really, the word seems to lend itself more to evidence, just like the other word was substance or title deed the evidence of things not seen. And when we stand on the evidence of things not seen, the comforting reality is that it leads to the subjective. It leads to an inner experience, not only of assurance, but an inner experience of conviction when it comes to the promises of God to be certain of what we do not see. There's something here, it's interesting because again, that they, they, they balance each other out, both sides of the translations, because the evidence by which a thing is proved brings conviction and certainty to the mind, as one commentator states. Listen to this again. The evidence by which a thing is proved brings conviction and certainty to the mind. Walk by faith. Walk by faith. When we think about endurance and we think about faith, they see the two are connected. And so much of what Hebrews is about, he's writing to people and he's warning them. And he's saying, look, you got to be careful. These Israelites, they heard the good news, but they didn't receive it with belief. They didn't receive it with faith. If we hear the good news and don't receive it with faith, what happens is we're deceived. But he's saying, look, the righteous shall live by faith. We looked last time at John 20. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Another commentator, faith is objective because it bestows upon the objects of hope, a present reality, enabling the believer to enjoy now the full certainty of future realization. I love that. I love that. There were so many quotes that I put down here to help me. Faith is the objective grounds upon which subjective confidence may be based. It has the capacity to unveil the future so that the solid reality of events as yet unseen can be grasped by the believer. I want to encourage you because you may be thinking like, well, how do I walk in that? That, Sign me up, right? Sign me up. Like, let me know how that works because that's what I want in my life. And it it all goes back to this whole issue of submission to Christ. It all goes back to God's grace. This is what happens in the Christian's life as they submit to Christ and his word. As we submit to Christ and his word. One study I was looking at here, like, okay, when you look at the book of Hebrews, you see how this is related to faith. You see three terms, hope, Promises, inheritance. Now, that's interesting because now think with me. we got to flesh this out. How would faith relate to hope? 
How would faith relate to promises? And how would faith relate to the inheritance? Well, look with me. It's like there's hope in what God has promised. But look at how he uses the word hope. I'm going to, the first passage, you can, I'm going to put them on the screen. I'm going to try to. But I want you, if you want to turn, the first one I'm going to look at is Hebrews 3, 6. In Hebrews 3, 6, look what it says. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Hebrews 6, 11 uses the word hope. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope. I love this. The next one, Hebrews 6.18. Notice how the word hope is used here. He says, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. You can't live the Christian life without holding on to the hope that God's given you in his word. Let me ask you something. How is your Christian experience when you don't stand on the promises of God and hold on to the hope that he gives? Anybody want to talk about that this morning? Do you find yourself walking in peace? No. Do you find yourself walking in joy? Not at all. Do you find yourself walking in any type of tangible blessing of who you are in Christ? You can't. But we build our faith on the promises which give us hope. And Hebrews is filled up with references of hope. Verse 19 of chapter 7, For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope, a better hope, a better hope. The whole theme of the book of Hebrews could just be called better, supreme, a better hope. Why? It's through our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, 23 Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, our hope. And so we see not only the word hope, but we see the idea of promises. The hope that we have is based on better promises. Now think with me. These are all connected. So as we think about faith, as we think about trusting God, as we think about God enabling us to walk with these present understanding of future realities, it's gonna all relate to this. Hope, promises, the promises are used all through the book. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. And again, we looked at 12, but now instead of looking at the word, uh, well, we actually didn't look at this one, look at this one, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You see the connection? I mean, 617, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose to the heirs of the promise. You see that word promise over and over and over, chapter 7, verse 6, chapter 8, verse 6, all the way into chapter 9. Look what he says about promises. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the what? The promised eternal inheritance. He uses the word hope. He uses the word promises. He uses the word inheritance. You start putting these together, 
you get a sense of like what is going on here. Notice now we are living with a hope. We are living based on his promises. And the promises and the hopes that he's given, he's given us some present hope, present promises, but how many of these in the scripture are related to the future? So many of them. And when we look at this idea of inheritance, I mean, look at what he says in chapter 1, verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to what? Inherit salvation. Let me ask you something. Whatever you're dealing with today, do you think tomorrow when you hit a crisis, maybe the Starbucks line is too long? Sometimes I think that's the extent of our crises at times. When you hit a real crisis, do you think it would change your perspective if you put your faith and hope in the promise of your future salvation? <laughs> what do you think? You may be... You may be thinking, what do you mean? What do you mean? If you live in light of what the promises of God are, it changes everything in the present. It changes everything. Look at this. This is huge. We looked at verse 12, but now notice the word inherit of chapter 6. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. When you go through this, you you begin to see that there is an inheritance that is coming for the people of God that we can stand on. I love Hebrews 9.15, therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. There's a promise, but the promise relates to an inheritance. So the book of Hebrews is filled with language, not just faith, but hope promises, inheritance that run like a thread throughout the book. And it's important to see that if we can't grab onto that, we may not understand what he's doing. Because in these promises about the inheritance, listen to what he speaks of. In chapter 2, verse 5, he speaks about the world to come. In chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, part of the Sabbath rest. There's different types, but part of the Sabbath rest is referring to eternity. In chapter 9, verse 15, he speaks about an eternal inheritance. In chapter 12, verses 22 through 24, he speaks about a heavenly Jerusalem. In chapter 12, verse 28, he speaks about an unshakable kingdom. And I love this quote right here, and I pray it blesses you like it blessed me. Viewed from this perspective, faith is something objective that in the here and now gives to the things hope for a substantial reality which will unfold in God's appointed time. Faith lays hold of what is promised and therefore hoped for as something real and solid, though yet unseen. I'll tell you, uh, I want you to think about the Christians who have spurred you on to righteousness. The only way they could spur you on to righteousness because they were examples of trusting God. Uh, we've got dear friends we, that are in Ohio that we live with in Albuquerque. And uh, he was in the Air Force and big Air Force base in Albuquerque. 
And so he was at the church, and I got to know him. And uh, Ellie was born literally hours before little Ricky was born, their son. And within about 12 to 16 months, Ricky just wasn't developing the way Ellie was developing. And to the point to where I have vivid memories of a late October gathering where we got together and he was dressed up with a little pumpkin outfit on and his precious little head was just slumped over to a point to where it was concerning. And they said, you know, we're a little concerned. We don't know what's going on. They started doing tests on little Ricky and they found out that he had the childhood version of ALS. And we watched them go through the tragedy of knowing that their son was deteriorating. And we watched them go through the process. And you know what's crazy is that as we watched them go through the process, so often in their tears, we would see glimmers of smiles. And all the time, it was related to them in the midst of that which they could not see. By the grace of God, they were, they were able to see spiritual realities in the midst of their pain. You know, you go through stuff, you know. Uh, I bring up my dad a lot because he's my dad, you know. So I know sometimes when people talk about someone over and over, it gets tiresome. But, like, he's one of the people that has made the biggest impact on me. And I'll never forget, you know, when, when mom called me, I was meeting with Roni on May 5th, 2016, up in the top room. And, uh, and she called me, and her voice was quivering. And she said, first thing, I said, Mom, what's going on? And she said, Stephen, they haven't ruled out ALS. And immediately, I walked outside. I walked outside, and I was like, Mom, that's what it is. That's what it is. And I remember I went to Bridge Street the next day. I was weeping. I just had this sense Dad was falling apart. And I called him. I called him right over there by Connors, where you can walk over there into that corner and look over the pond. And I said, Dad, I said, are you okay? And he said, I'm going to be all right, Stephen. I'm going to be all right. And I said, Dad, are you all right? And he's like, Stephen, God's way ahead of us. God's way ahead of us. Friend, I want to encourage you. You're not going to endure apart from walking by faith. You see, the danger is this. The danger is we get into a church setup where everything is just theoretical. Everything is just moral and ethical. But friend, what God is calling me as your pastor and what he's calling you to is to the journey of walking with him and trusting him in the course of life. I tell you, it's humbling, isn't it? Because this morning, I can give you examples about Rick and Kendra. I can give you example about my friend Freeman Tomlin, who's an associate pastor at Sagebrush in Houston. And I can tell you a story about Cole, who was in my youth group. And then one day, I find out, I get a call, and Cole had gotten sick at 26 years old, was fit, was athletic, was outside all the time, ended up in a hospital in Denver, and died with an infection. Cole was their only child. And I watched him go through this heartache and talking to him several months ago. You know what? The only thing that was getting him through was that through the grace of God, the Holy Spirit was enabling him to take hold of that which to the natural mind was unseeable. Friend, that's the hope of the gospel. 
And apart from living, you know, when I remember years ago, uh, and I'll forget it because it just came to my mind. So if I forget it, we'll just act like I didn't say it. But they were saying four pillars to the flow of the Bible, you know, creation, the fall. And then you've got the third pillar, which is redemption. And, and then the fourth pillar that we often lose sight of is new heavens and new earth restoration. And, and, and what, what's so encouraging, I'm right there with you. You may be thinking, he's preaching at us this morning, trying to tell us to live like he lives. No, I, I'm preaching in my heart and my own self. Because there's so many times that in my flesh, I turn away from trusting God. And I depend on what I can see through my fleshly eyes. And it overwhelms me. It fills me with anxieties. I get way out of sorts. It's the kind of stuff where Anne lives around me. So she often can say, what's, what's wrong with you? Are you okay? Something's off. And so often, you know somebody after, you know, 19 years, 20 years, including Dayton, 21 you can start to see sometimes where the individual has lost sight of the promises of God and is focusing more on the fleshly and what they can see in the here and now. But don't you, aren't you amazed at the kindness of God? The kindness of God that, that would not just bring salvation to us, but that would enable us through his power, by his spirit, to live in the present with the title deed of what is to come. I, I love this. We better keep moving, though, because uh, we're headed to 1 o'clock right now. Let's go. You know, in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, he quotes in Hebrews 10, and he says, uh, he quotes out of Habakkuk. Do you remember the story of Habakkuk? Habakkuk, a prophet to Judah, and uh, you remember uh, God revealed to Habakkuk that he was going to literally bring judgment and discipline upon his own people, and he was going to bring the Chaldeans? It would be no different. I promise you, this is probably a decent analogy. It would be no different than if that was happening in God's economy of his history of redemption, if he was working in the exact same way that he worked in the Old Testament, and now we were in that same situation, it would be like God revealing to America that he was going to judge their sin through Al-Qaeda. The Babylonians were ruthless. If you want to learn about the Chaldeans, look them up, and they're, they're no different than any terrorist organization that there is today in the world. And what did he do? He's given him this, this, this knowledge of Habakkuk. This is going to be difficult. This is going to be horrifying. But Habakkuk, you've got to trust me. You've got to trust in my promises. You have to trust in the unseen. And he tells Habakkuk, who's dealing with that incredible reality, but the righteous shall live by faith. And what is faith going to be? Faith is laying hold of the future promises of God by trusting in the character and in the unchanging word of God. And it brings it into present realities. It, it, it's you remember I was telling you about the title deed, and I, I love Alistair Begg, and he gave a story, and I, I, I'm going to walk you through what he said. I, he loved this. He says, let's imagine you and I bought an island on the west coast of Scotland, fitting for him to say, 
And that we did the transaction in the lawyer's office somewhere on East 9th Street. And we sat down with the seller and with the lawyer and ourselves, and we drew up the contract for sale. We determined how large it was, what it had on it, and what it would be, and when we could take ownership of it, and so on. And then we signed up, and Chicago Title or Realty said, okay, now we'll put this all down. We'll give it to you with a big stamp on the front and we'll notarize it and you can carry it around in your pocket. And when you're going up East 9th Street and somebody says to you, hey, what's been happening to you recently? You say, hey, I own an island in Scotland. Oh yeah? Have you been there? No, haven't been there. What's it like? Well, I haven't actually seen it. Well, how do you know you've got it? Oh, I've got it. Well, tell me why. Well, here. Here's my title deed. Says here my island, and here's my thing. Well, you're pretty confident, aren't you? Yeah. Oh, what are you basing your confidence on? That there's actually an island there, and the guy who sold it to me is trustworthy. We understand that. Say, I'm going to heaven. You are. You ever seen it? No. I don't really know. You're sure it's there? Yes. How can you be certain? I've got a title deed. I've got it in my pocket. I carry it with me. In fact, I carry half of it with me all the time, my inside pocket. I can't carry the whole thing in my pocket, but sometimes I carry the whole thing. Say, you got to be pretty confident that the guy was telling the truth. You know what? I'm absolutely certain he was telling the truth. Where did you get that from? Did you pump yourself up? No, I can't explain it. I can't even explain how certain I am. I cannot explain it. It's not credulity. It's not wishful thinking. Well, then what is it? Well, the one who signed the title deed is infallible. Therefore, he can be trusted completely. He's absolutely faithful. He never quits on his promises. He's all powerful. And so nothing can frustrate the purposes. He goes on, and when we go through Hebrews 11, as we will discover that in the 11th chapter, all of these lives lived in faith went like this. They heard the word of God. They heard the story of God. They trusted the promise of God. And then they lived in the light of the promise. They heard the story, trusted the promise, and then lived their lives. Amen? That's what God's calling us to today. He's calling us to trust in his promise. The last thing I'll look at with you, the, la- the, the, the third phrase For by it, the people of old received their commendation. I love this because they modeled faith. We talked about it at the men's weekend. Our kids follow us. Uh, They follow us, and uh, I don't know what just happened. (laughs) Something popped up. They, They follow us. They... Our, our men, our wives will look to us for leadership because it's form and function. It's the way God has made the family. But, but he's saying, we understand you follow, but what are we seeing here? He's saying, look, look to them. Look to these Old Testament saints. Look to them because what? Follow after how they lived and after they, how they followed God. I, um, there's no shortcuts. You can't go in another line and do it another way. I think sometimes we think that, well, there's a better way for us. It's a simpler way, a quicker way. I remember being at Six Flags one year, and the line to Mindbender was like three hours. It was depressing. But something happened to me the night before I went to Six Flags. I was playing basketball at 19 years old, and I went up really trying to do something impressive, and I landed very unimpressively. And I, I literally, I got my ankle really good. 
it was one of the things that happened in my life that led me to ankle surgery when I was 21. And, 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 then, and I was like so bummed that I'm laying on the ground and it's just immediately starting to swell. And, and, and they're looking at me and, and I'm like, I can't, what am I going to do? I can't go to Six Flags tomorrow. And then it hit me. I was like, yeah, I can. And they're like, what do you mean? I was like, we can wrap it and I can ride in a wheelchair. And I knew that we would have access to a different line. And get this, I literally could ride rides. And I, my, my ankle was huge. I could not walk on it. I could not walk on it. But my friends, they let me take three friends. And we would go up the exit ramp. They gave me a whole different line, not the three-hour line. They said, no, you're injured. And they looked at my ankle. And I even took the wrap off. I said, look, there it is. They are like, whoa, that's bad. And I was like, they were like, you get to go over here because you can't walk in the line. We went up a whole nother way. Me and three friends would get to the ride and we'd look at the person. They'd say, do you want to ride it once or twice? And I'd be like, twice will be good. You know, <laughs> we'll go, we'll go two times. And we would ride it. We had a quicker way, a simpler way, a less complicated way. It doesn't work that way in the life of the Christian. I think sometimes we think we got another line. And so this morning, as we close out, I want to encourage you, how do we grow this faith? How do we grow this faith? And, and, and the passage I read to you last time, look with me at Romans 10, 17, and then we're going to close. I didn't get as far as I wanted to, but I think this is a good stopping point. Romans 10, 17 says something that I pray would thrill your soul this morning because it's such hope in it. And look what he says. You may be like, well, how can I grow faith? for me to trust in the promises of God because it sounds so great to live that way. It sounds so great to in the present live out of the realities that God promises me or mine in the future. How great would it be to live with the legal possession of what God has rightfully given me in the future in the moment right now? Well, Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Wow, you mean to tell me Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 9 tells me faith is a gift? You can't work faith up. You can't spin around in your laundry room and get faith. You know what you need? You need to go before the God who gives faith, and you need to plead and cry out for his mercy and his grace, and humble yourself before the word of God, and where you recognize your brokenness, as to your inability to trust God in the course of life, you plead with him and you run to his word and you pray over the direction the Holy Spirit gives in his word. And here's the goodness of the gospel. The Holy Spirit enables faith through his sufficient word. There's hope. You plead for him and God builds your trust in his promises. You know, today, as we wrap up, um, I, it's, it's fascinating because we, we know how the world celebrates October 31st, and uh, we know the cultural way we do it. And, uh, but my, it's my sister's birthday today, too, by the way. Um, I had fun with that growing up. And, uh, but today, you know what today is? Today is what we call Reformation Day. It commemorates Luther's posting of the 95 Thesis on the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany, on October 31st, 1517. And you know what's amazing is that God gave Luther 
an understanding that what he was being taught was unbiblical. And he drove him back to this whole doctrine of the five solas, but one of those solas was faith alone. Faith alone. Luther wrote hymns, but he wrote one that he is famous for, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And what we're going to do this morning is going to be a little different. I'm going to pray, and in our response time, I'm going to, we're going to hear a rendition of A Mighty Fortress. If you want to sing, you can sing. Go for it. And as you look at the words on the screen, here's your assignment. I want you to look at how the lyrics were inspired by the very reality of Hebrews 11.1. 1. Because Luther is looking to future promises. And he's calling the church to live out of their reality now. So would you pray with me and then we're going to listen to that? Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray, God, that we would walk by faith. I thank you, God, that faith is certain. It's substantive. It's, it's a title deed. It brings conviction, assurance, but it's evidence. It's based on the reality of who you are and your unchanging word. Lord, thank you for how you've revealed this to saints of old, even as Martin Luther. And God, I pray that even through his lyrics, that God, it would inspire us to trust in your promises in the here and now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.